Coming up, the Celtics and Nets was the highlight game over the weekend as the NBA playoffs have begun. I'll recap the final seconds of a wild buzzer beater finish for the Celtics and everything else that's happened in the association. An early litmus test for a Met team expected to do big things this year as the San Francisco Giants come to town. Plus, what's happening in baseball? Remembering another Islander legend who's transitioned and the wild card hunt continues in the NHL as we're a week and a half away from the season completing and a couple of notable signings in the NFL. I'll get this sports podcast party started, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, as I hope everyone enjoyed their Easter weekend. Now it's on to another day, a new week, with another podcast to whet and satiate your sports appetite, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who've been banging with me, whether from the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as recent as Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Lots to get into here as we're right now in the middle of a sports month where things are heating up. The NHL is about to conclude here in ah, 10-11 days. We also have the baseball to get to as the Mets are off and running, but at the same time, maybe with a little bit of an asterisk, I'll talk about that. But with the eight games that have taken place over the weekend in the NBA, the playoffs, the march to the Lawrence O'Brien Trophy... It wasn't a stellar weekend when we take a big picture of it. Now, if you want to go back to Friday night with the two playing games where Atlanta beating Cleveland and you knew deep in your gut if you're an NBA fan that that was going to take place because Atlanta, not only did they have the experience, but they had the guile, they had the guts, they played in big games when you look at the postseason last year, making it to a conference final and obviously beating the Sixers along the way where they had to win three road games in order for them to propel themselves to that conference final against Milwaukee. And with Cleveland trying to get Jared Allen back, it was almost a case of too much, too little, too late. As the Cavs, who had a very good year and a year that they could actually build on, unfortunately came way too short. And then in the nightcap with the Clippers, and I get it, 
before the game started, you had Paul George go down with the virus, him testing positive for coronavirus, and it was a situation where you felt Ty Lue really had to pull a rabbit out of his hat in order for him to get past this playing scenario to go ahead and have a rematch with the Phoenix Suns as they had last year in the Western Conference Final. But even with a 13-point lead and give it up for what the Pelicans did and Coach Willie Green just implementing their system, their players led by Brandon Ingram. And even though you got guys that you never heard of, whether you're Jose Alvarado, who I butchered his name a few weeks ago, if you remember that, in my Hero Zero of the Week with Joel Embiid. Also guys like Herb Jones. And when you take a look at what had transpired there, if you're a Clipper fan, in that fourth quarter, it was just an extension of the days where Doc Rivers blew those 3-1 series lead, whether it was in the bubble, outside of the bubble, and it was time for him to move on. And it's almost as if, last year notwithstanding, the ghosts of Doc Rivers was over the Staples Center slash Crypto.com Arena, whatever you want to call it, to where they get sent packing. It's going to be a long offseason for them. Obviously, we did not see Kawhi at any point this year, and even with Paul George back in the lineup, But for the most part, he was not really a factor. They fell way short of what they expected to do, even without Kawhi Leonard, and just a bitter loss, and give it up for the Pelicans, just a tremendous win, considering how they started. They were 1-12, and and I believe 3-16 and to start their year, and here they are in the postseason, where yesterday they get waxed by Phoenix. Well, the game was kind of close. Chris Paul took it over in the fourth quarter. Just what you expect from your leader, from the guy that is just dying to get back to an NBA final and win. So, not much really to talk about that game. It was the late game yesterday. I didn't really watch it. So, all I know is that in reading up on it this morning, just to kind of apprise you, ladies and gentlemen, how the Suns were able to get off on the right foot and beat the Pelicans there in a game one. But when we look at all the game ones that took place here pretty much over the last 48 hours, And understandably so, you're not going to get all classics or all close games. You're going to get some duds. In fact, you got quite a few, and I'll touch on those in a minute. But the big game out of all, and when you look at the matchup by seeding, this is certainly more of a conference semifinal, even a conference final, when you get right to it. But that Brooklyn Net-Boston Celtic game yesterday, 3.30 ABC, was... One for the ages. And I know people say, well, Jay Reels, pipe down. It was a game one of a first-round series that could go any which way. And I get it that people are going to think, oh, and there goes Jay Reels breaking out the green and white pom-poms for the Celtics as Jason Tatum was heroic there in the final seconds of the game. And when we look at this game as a whole, not only was it hotly contested, the defense... On both sides, even though the Brooklyn Nets are going to be far from the defensive teams of the past, whether it's the bad boy Pistons or even those Nick teams with Pat Riley, far from that. But when we look at just competitiveness, a fire that even the coach, Steve Nash, you saw that in him where you're a casual NBA fan, you look at that and say, wait, Steve Nash is the coach? And wow, look at him out there just high-fiving and just really getting into the flow of the game. And it was just one of those games that, sadly, played more like a Game 5, a Game 7, but it was just a Game 1 of an opening series. And right, not that I'm about to put this into the ESPN Classic Vault or put this up there as one of the 
greatest playoff games of all time? Absolutely not. But when we look at the way the weekend unfolded, and we look at these two teams as pretty much being equal, and granted that you had the two-headed monster there in Brooklyn with Kyrie and KD, and we'll say one and a half when it comes to the Celtics with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and we know Jalen Brown could be super efficient on the offensive end, but we all know that team is going to go through offensively with number zero. And how we look at this game yesterday, Kyrie was just unconscious in the way he played, and I'll get to him in a minute with the back and forth with the fans. But when we gather up everything, whether it was the Celtic lead at 15, 84-69 there, midway through the third quarter, and I knew even at that point that this game wasn't going to be a cakewalk, You knew the Nets were going to make a run. Obviously, Kyrie was in the middle of that. KD, after the slow start there, where they shoot 2 for 10 in the first half, although ended up with 24 points and didn't look good in the box score as far as his shooting goes, but he is always a threat no matter, even if he goes 0 for 25. If there's 5 minutes left in the fourth quarter, you know he's dangerous. When you also look at contributions from the Celtics, guys like Al Horford, what he did defensively, not only that, but also contributing on the offensive end with 20 points and 15 rebounds, kind of harken back to his early days with the Celtics, or even you want to go further back, his days with the Hawks. Jalen Brown contributing with 23 points. A quiet 23, didn't really seem impactful, but when you have the Robin to Tatum's Batman you know that you're going to pretty much have to match point for point when it comes to what the Nets provide as two of the most lethal players in the game. And to go back to one of those two guys in Kyrie Irving, 39 points, 12 of 20 from the field, just masterful no matter where he is on the court. And that's the one thing. When you see him at the top of the key or when you see him behind the three-point line, you can't get too close to him because he's just going to blow right past you. And then obviously you got to give him that respect to making that three-pointer And it's frustrating to no end how a guy that's pretty much six feet with heels could not only be that deft of a ball handler, but also at the same time shoot a 30, 35 footer in your face as if he was seven feet tall and two feet from the basket. And what we saw there from Kyrie yesterday is indicative of the type of, not going to call him a microwave player, but he's a guy that Even at 39 points, and even with a Celtic victory, you know that it's going to be tough to contain him. And granted, he's had his moments. He's had games where he'll shoot 7 for 19, and he'll have his games where he's not as efficient offensively. But you just know that no matter what the score is, how much time is left on the clock, the guy has ice water in his veins. And we've seen that on the big stage, in particular, Game 7, against the Golden State Warriors back in the 2016 final when the Cavaliers finally won their first NBA title. And then Kyrie with the fans, I know he made that shot right there in front of Jalen Brown there on the left corner in the third quarter. And it just made you think that, geez, you know, how are we going to slow this guy down? And then as he is running up the court, not only does he give the middle finger salute, but then he also bumps... Jalen Brown the process. I know that's probably more of a friendly, competitive thing. But Kyrie, if he's going to try to get into a battle with the fans, and I know in the postgame he said that, oh, I'm going to the dark side, and he should just leave that alone. And I understand it probably fuels him. I understand that he probably gets a kick out of that. 
And it even goes back to last year when he went into the TD Garden with the Sage and he went around the court and trying to exercise whatever demon. I don't know what he was trying to do there, but Kyrie knows that he could try to get under the fan skin. He can try to step on the logo like he did last year after game four. He could do all these things to try to get in the head of the Celtic fan, but he has to remember that Celtic fan, they are not going to let one player, especially a guy like Kyrie, who, as we all know, the history with the Celtics, those two years, not being on the bench in game number seven against the Cavs when he had a shot to go to the NBA final. And then, of course, the performance against the Milwaukee Bucks in the five-game loss, which is almost a sweep when you think about it, because the Bucks after game one, when the Celtics just manhandled Giannis and company, well, they did that in reverse times four the rest of the way, and how Kyrie wanted to take on Giannis. We all know the track record and what had taken place there in Boston over those two years. But for him to try to get into some sort of battle or shouting match with the fans, that's what he's going to lose on. And granted, I'm sure a lot of the fans, they say nasty things, which is a little bit out of line. You know, you want to say, Kyrie, you suck, or go home, Kyrie, or you're pathetic, or you are a waste here in Boston. Uh, That's fine. But obviously, when they make it personal, dare I even say make it racial, and when you cross the line, of course, that's going to trigger anybody. And granted that Kyrie isn't going to run into the stands and do anything crazy a la Ron Artest, but even whether it's a middle finger whether it's a choke sign, which obviously he's not going to do because we all know that that's been banned many years ago, or the slitting of the throat, because we've seen that in the past. Not necessarily with him, but we've seen those type of gestures from players where in a hostile environment, depending on how wrapped up they are in the game, they're going to do whatever they feel. And would you put it past Kyrie to do something like that, especially if the Nets were to come out on top? And it's interesting because when we look at that final stretch of the game, under a minute where the Celtics were down by three, 114-111, and when the Celtics got the inbounds and it was the right play and the smart play, there was plenty of time to go. Jalen Brown attacked the basket, got the layup. There was no need to play hero ball there. You're not looking for the tie. You knew that you had a chance to get a two-for-one. So get a layup and then make a stop. And what the Celtics did on the Nets' last possession was anything short of magnificent. Kyrie had the ball. You knew he was trying to play hero ball in the worst. And who knows what kind of gesture he would have done if he would have made that shot in the final seconds. But as it was, as he's trying to get to the paint and it looked like he was either going to go to the basket or maybe even turn a fadeaway jumper. But as Horford came to help and you had both guys just zero in on Kyrie where he had the push it out to Kevin Durant behind the three-point stripe, and then Tatum, in a rush to get there, obviously contested that shot to where Durant missed. You get the rebound, you go up the court with about 12 seconds to go. No timeout there, which was smart because to draw up a play could be a little bit chaotic. You want to be in the flow of the game. And Wadudoka there, the coach of the Celtics, was masterful. Let it play out. Even if you had a timeout in your belt, if the ball goes out of bounds, you still have time, whatever it is. So, what happened from there? It almost looked like Marcus Smart was going to take that three-pointer to try to ice the game, but the ball was just liquid, was moving as fluid as possible, and then it gets into the hands of a cutting Jason Tatum. I know you could probably get on Kevin Durant there as far as him not following his man, 
But in this day and age of the NBA, everything is from the perimeter. Everything is hero ball. Everything is a three-point shot. Now, was it smart? Was it a bad basketball play to not even take a peek to see where Tatum was going to be? You could say that. But as we all know, when do we ever see a buzzer beater on a layup in an NBA game? To find one, let me know when it is because I haven't seen it. Because we all know it's either going to be from the perimeter, behind the three-point arc, very rare it's from mid-range or underneath the basket or even from a dunk. Unless there's .4 seconds on the clock and you know it's going to be an alley-oop scenario because you just do not have enough time in order to get a shot off once you inbound the ball with that much time left. But considering Tatum made his move to the basket, pass was made, layup, you could argue that even Jason Tatum was fouled on that, but it didn't matter. Ball game over and just a magnificent way for a series which I picked the Celtics to win in six, and I did say that the Celtics needed that game one in the worst way, especially if they were going to win the series. Because could you imagine if they were to lost that game, let's say Kyrie hits that shot, and I know the players may take it hard, and of course they do. They want to win, they're competitive, but the fans, they take it even more because when you're invested in your team for decades like I am, it's one of those things where, oh, geez, how are we going to bounce back from this considering Kevin Durant didn't have a big game and if somehow, some way, Kyrie would have made that shot in the lane in those closing seconds, it just would have been a lot to come back from and especially to have to sit on it for three days because game two isn't until Wednesday night. But now, you're looking at a long series for the Celtics to even think about advancing and going far in this postseason, they have to win this in six. If this is going to be a microcosm of what this series could be, it is going to go seven and probably to the very end. And if that's the case, that's going to be tough sledding for the Celtics after that. But that's getting way, way, way too far down the road. The one thing you do like, and I mentioned this on Thursday, is that the minutes that Kevin Durant and even Kyrie are going to have to log in this series, they may not be long for this postseason either. Could they get past this first round against Boston? Absolutely. But we all know that these guys with the amount of minutes that Kevin Durant's going to have to log, and even to a certain extent Kyrie, now mind you, he's been more into the flow of his team the last few weeks of the season since the mandate was lifted, since he was able to play in home games. But knowing that he pretty much had the first three-fifths dare I even say four-fifths of his season, pretty much sitting at home and not doing much there on the road to where now he has to ramp up his minutes where it's not going to stop him. He's still going to be the same great player that he is. But again, that's going to take a toll on you mentally, maybe even spiritually and psychologically if these games are going to be down to the wire where you're playing 45 minutes and you're going to be tugging at your shorts there at the free throw line late in the game. And you can say that for every team I understand. But when it's your two main guys and you know that they're going to be the ones that are going to have to pull you through the fire if you're a Brooklyn Net team, then again, this could be a short postseason for those guys. So by far, that was the highlight game of the weekend. The other game of note that I thought was Minnesota beating Memphis there on the early Saturday game to where the Grizzlies looked like they were a little bit rusty, as mentioned by the coach Taylor Jenkins in the postgame. The T-Wolves, who came off of the game there last Tuesday against the Clippers, 
winning the playing game and everybody celebrating like they won the NBA final. But for them to come out the way they did, they played spectacular. Carl Anthony Towns bounced back from that dreadful playing game to where he had 29 and 13. The athleticism of one Anthony Edwards who can scare you, a young player wanting to be the hero, wanting to show and prove that he's a number one overall pick, that he's one of the top young players in the league. Well, for one game, he definitely showed that. And this T-Wolf team may have to be taken a little bit more seriously here. Now, granted, it's one game, can't get crazy. But as I mentioned on Thursday, Memphis, 56 wins during the season, a lot of wins without John Morant in the lineup, who had 32 in the game, by the way. But they did not have a good performance by Desmond Bain. An even awful performance for Jaron Jackson Jr., who both of those guys did not play well. And as we all know, they were a huge part of this team, even without Morant in the lineup. And you figured that they're going to bounce back here in Game 2. Now, Game 2 isn't until tomorrow night. But I would think Memphis will go back to the drawing board and even this thing up before going to the Twin Cities for Game 3 up there. But Minnesota does have to be a team that you're going to have to watch out here that could take the Grizzlies to a seventh game. I thought Grizzlies in six. Minnesota gets off on a good note. And you want to see those long series here in an opening round because more often than not, usually these first round series are non-competitive. Some of them turn into sweeps, as you may see with Chicago-Milwaukee, possibly even Utah-Dallas, and I'll get to that in a minute. And you would think that the Pelicans may not be able to squeeze out a victory against the Suns. So you want to have some length in these first round series just to get your NBA engine running as opposed to turning on the TV and saying, oh, wait a minute, the Suns are up 3-0 or the Golden State Warriors, Utah, they're up 3-1 or 3-0 and they'll just turn it off and wait till the next round. And as for the rest of these series, not really much to talk about. When we look at, I mentioned the Bulls and Bucks, and give it up to the Bulls because they actually played pretty well. They had a chance to tie late with a Zach Levine three, but they fell short, weren't able to get the equalizer. The Bucks were able to hang on. Giannis at 27. And again, if the Bulls would have been able to steal this game, remember the Bucks had swept the Bulls 4 0 through the regular season. And if the Bulls would have been able to get this one under their belt, maybe, just maybe. They would have gotten the heads of the Bucks a little bit to think that this may not be as easy as we thought it would be. And even though it wasn't easy throughout, but the Bucks were able to prevail as they looked to defend their championship from last year. So a tough loss for the Bulls. They fought hard, but just came up short. And now they have to deal with a game two, which I believe would be tomorrow night or Wednesday as that series will continue. Also, Denver and Golden State. Now, this is with Steph Curry finally coming back into the lineup. Remember, he missed the pretty much the last 16, 18 games with that ankle injury. And even with him playing 22 minutes and only scoring 16 points, this game was all about Jordan Poole making threes all over the place. Did it on only 13 shots. I believe it was 9 for 13 in the game. The defense swarmed Nikola Jokic. They figured that, hey, we're not going to let this guy beat us. Even with a downtrodden and ragamuffin bunch. Remember, no Jamal Murray. We don't know what the status of him is going to be moving forward. You would think, forget about this series. And Jokic, he's going to have to really work a lot of magic. And I thought maybe the Nuggets would prevail in the series. 
I thought that the Warriors were running out of gas as we got to the end of the regular season, especially with Steph Curry being out of the lineup. And then now, after that Game 1 performance, 123-107, you would think that it's going to be all systems go and everything's going to start clicking unless the Nuggets have it in them to pull off an upset if they have any shot to win this series. Because even if they do win tonight, yes, they did say face. They're going back to Denver, but then they're going to have to win the next two, which could they do that? Absolutely. But if they were to steal a game tonight, they'll make the series that much more interesting because then they go back home. And as we all know, once a road team wins, the series becomes a lot more intriguing. So we'll have to wait and see there. Utah and Dallas. Now, no Luka, and it looks like you're not going to see Luka Doncic again tonight, which Game 2 will take place down in Dallas. And even after a terrible start by Donovan Mitchell, he was able to turn his game around to where he scored 30 of his 32 points in the second half, tacked that on to Bohan Bogdanovich's 26. And if the Mavericks are not going to see Luka Doncic in the series, you can forget about it. And granted that the... Mavs did cut the deficit to one there late in the game before Royce O'Neal iced it with his three and pretty much set the Jazz up to a 1-0 series lead. But if you're not going to have Luka in the series at all, and we know he's going to be compromised, he's not going to be 100%. And it's just a shame because he injured that calf on the last day of the regular season. And those are the breaks. What could you say if you're a Mav fan knowing that the Mavericks were able to play well here over the latter part of the regular season, put themselves in a position where they had the home court in the 4-5. And, of course, with Luka there, you have a shot to win any game. And if you're not going to have him here, who knows if you're going to have him for game three later on in the series when it shifts to Utah. And it looks like the Mavericks are going to be a one-and-done. And, unfortunately, when you don't have your best player, that's going to be the case. The Hawks and Heat game one there yesterday. Now, granted, the heroics of Trey Young there in Cleveland barely 30-some-odd hours prior to the start of game one there yesterday in Miami at 1 o'clock. That's a tough turnaround. So you come off an emotional victory. You make it into the postseason. You leave Cleveland to fly into Miami around 3 a.m. by the time you get into your hotel. And then you have to turn around to a 1 p.m. start to where you're probably getting up 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. So when you do the math, you're talking about a 30-hour turnaround from the time you land to Miami to the time you're waking up to go to the arena to play a game one in which the Hawks were still at the hotel. Trey Young matched his worst shooting performance ever, 1 for 12, only 8 points. What was he, 0 for 7 from 3? And... In reverse, when you have Duncan Robinson with eight threes, franchise playoff record, 27 points, all you need to do is just read that headline to know who won the game. It wasn't as if Jimmy Butler had a monster game or Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, etc. When Duncan Robinson is your high scorer and his exploits on the floor compared to what Trey Young did, that's all you need to know. And you would think that the Hawks will play better. They have it in them, led by Trey Young, to play more competitive. And game two is tomorrow night. And that's going to be, I think it's still going to be an interesting series. I think the Heat are going to win probably in six. I believe I mentioned this 
on Thursday where if the Heat were to play the Hawks, I figured it'd be a six-game series, and if they were playing the Cavs, I gave the Cavs one game. And I'll stick with that when it comes to Heat and Hawks. And then lastly, Toronto and Philadelphia. This has the makings of a potential sweep considering the list of players that were out of this game, including Scotty Barnes, who in that collision there with Joel Embiid, looks like he's not going to be ready for game two. Looks like he may not even be a factor in this series. We know Scotty Barnes and what he's done here in his rookie year. But with him out, Thaddeus Young, it may be too much to ask for the Raptors to not only come back in the series, but maybe even have a shot to win a game, even though they'll be going to Toronto after a game two, which will take place tonight. The big star of this game was Tyrese Maxey, who had 30 points. Maxey's a guy that actually played pretty well when the trade went down between Brooklyn and Philadelphia, and Maxey who is a very energetic player, showed his touch there with 21 points in that third quarter with five threes. And if he's going to mask the perpetual playoff woes of a one James Harden, who did have 22 points and 14 rebounds, although he did shoot six for 17 in the game, and with Embiid only having 19 points, but if Maxie's going to give you anything close to what he was able to do there on Saturday night, then the Raptors have no shot. As we know, this team is going to revolve around both the center and James Harden. And I'm not going to say whatever Maxi gives you is going to be a plus because Maxi has had these outbursts of offensive output where, as you saw, now granted it's Toronto, all right, you want to see this deeper into the postseason, you want to see this against a Milwaukee team, maybe a Boston team, As the games get bigger, when you get deeper into the postseason, that's when you want to see these type of performances. But for one game, how could you quibble with what Maxie was able to do in that third quarter in a game that the Raptors were going upstream without a paddle? And you want to throw in Tobias Harris with 26 points. I know I've gotten on his case in the past, who's getting max money, but with minimum effort. Well, maybe not minimum effort, but... Minimum offensive performance considering the type of coin that they're paying a guy who's pretty much a glorified guy off the bench. Well, let's call it as we see it. But the Sixers, and as I said there on Thursday, this is going to be a spotlight that a lot of the league and obviously the fans are going to look at to see how Harden's going to perform here on this stage in that city to where it's championship or bust, but they definitely have to go at least to a conference final this year. So we'll keep our eyes on that. Besides that, obviously we have games throughout the week. We'll reconvene with what has taken place on Thursday, get you all caught up to speed, but right now with the NBA off and running, not a great weekend overall. Yes, you can look at Friday night, the playing games, both of those were exciting. A lot of the games as we covered, other than Minnesota, Memphis, and obviously Brooklyn and Boston were the two highlights. And let's see if it uh, improves between now and when we get back to you on Thursday and see how this first round unfolds. I want to turn my attention to some baseball because as we take a look at the first 10 days of the season, I understand people are going to say, oh boy, here goes Jay Reels. We went with the Celtics, now he's going to 
talk about his Mets and how they're off and flying. I'm going to say this. Yes, they're 7-3. and three. Yes, they've won each of their first three series. And yes, I am happy. I mean, how could you not? But again, they did play Washington, who's 4-7. and seven. They did play Philadelphia. And people can say, oh, Philadelphia's going to be good this year. Well, the Marlins just took three out of four against them down in Miami this weekend. And then, of course, the D-backs, who are also, I believe, 4-6 and six, to start off their year. Well, let me double-check that just to be sure. Hold on. But the Mets, even with their very good start, and for them to now get the litmus test maybe a little bit too strong, but knowing what the Giants did against the Mets last year, where in their seven games, the Mets only won one of the seven. Because if you recall, there was that 13-game stretch in the middle of August where the Mets played back-to-back the Dodgers and the Giants, and all the Mets were able to do was win two of those games. The one game in San Francisco on that getaway day, and the Dodgers obviously we won't talk about because it's about San Francisco at the moment. But the D-backs, I take it back, they're not 4-6, they're 3-6. and six. So even though the schedule's been favorable for the Mets to start off, and you only play the teams that are in front of you, but nevertheless... This is the start that a Met fan likes to see, but we all know it's not how you start, it's how you finish. But with this coming week, the Giants coming into town, this is going to be an early test for them because you'll have Tyler McGill pitch tomorrow, or excuse me, he'll pitch tonight, and then Max Scherzer will pitch tomorrow, so they'll have two of their better pitchers going at it, and this is on top of what Chris Bassett did on opening day against the D-backs. And what could you say? The Mets are... Off and running here to the point where, and I've seen this movie before, so it's not as if let's start printing up the World Series tickets and getting the parade route set for late October. You know that's not me. If anybody's listened to this podcast over the years, I am the last person on earth that is already breaking out the championship blue and orange pom-poms. I haven't seen one in 36 years. But you got to like what you see so far. They've pitched well. I mean, unbelievably well. Their starting pitching has just been off the charts. I believe the ERA is under one. And they've gotten some timely hits. Alonzo already has, what, 12 RBIs to start off the year. Starling Marte's contributed. What about Francisco Lindor? A lot of the reports say that Buck Showalter went in and pretty much took the temperature of his star shortstop. And it looks like he's relaxed. A lot more comfortable this year. To me, I compare it to Carlos Beltran when his first year in New York in 20 or 2005, I was going to say 2015, in 2005 when he had all those expectations, the seven-year, $119 million deal, and we know the type of year Beltran had, to where in 2006 was his breakout year in New York, was an MVP caliber player, and the team was successful to the point where they made it to a seventh game of a National League Championship Series. We can only hope that the Mets go that far this year. Obviously, so much baseball is to be played. But right now, everything is looking gravy in Metville. And we'll see with these three games. Now, mind you, this isn't going to be the end-all, be-all. I understand that. And I'm sure a lot of these Met players who were on the team last year aren't going to look at the Giants and say, oh, what they did to us last year, we got to pay them back. Absolutely not. But this is going to be one that... It's not going to go long and far as how the Mets play the rest of this year. 
But as a fan, you want to see them get two out of three against a team that won 107 games last year and they're already off to a 7-2 and two start this year. And a lot of people thought that the Giants would take a little bit of a step back. Granted, they're not going to win 107 games, but they'll probably be somewhere in the mix of 90 to 95, and they're showing and proving that last year wasn't a fluke. Coming into City Field, winners of five straight, including a sweep over the weekend against the Guardians out in Cleveland. You're also going to have a reunion of sorts tonight in the early part of the week where the Braves, who just came off of a weekend in San Diego, will now go up the five to play the Dodgers. And we all know Freddie Freeman now a member of the Dodgers. So until Freeman goes to Atlanta for the first time, that's when you're going to really get the storylines and the reception, etc. But the Braves will play the Dodgers here, and we'll see what Freeman does over the course of these three days to where I'm sure he's going to take it out on his former team, knowing how that ended with the whole Matt Olson trade and then the big contract, etc. But Freeman, we know he's a classy guy. I'm sure privately he's going to want to bash their brains in. But that's something that we'll keep an eye out for as we get to later on in the week. But other news and notes from the weekend, the Angels had a big weekend in Texas, but there was some strategy there by Joe Madden, which I totally didn't understand, and it backfired on him. Thankfully, it didn't cost him the game, but early on, I believe in the fourth inning of a game where he had the bases loaded and Corey Seager coming up to where he walked him intentionally to bring in a run, and it did lead to another run to where the Angels were trailing, but then they bounced back and ended up winning 9-6, but... Joe Madden, as we all know, trying to be the smartest guy in the room, trying to be creative with lineups, trying to be creative with some of his baseball strategy, and here, it just totally blew up on him. It made me think back to that time where Buck Showalter, when he was a member of the Arizona Diamondbacks, walked Barry Bonds, I believe in 1999, intentionally with the bases loaded. Now, I forgot what the outcome was, whether they lost the game or not, but I believe the Diamondbacks at that time, they were leading 5-3, and they said, the heck with this. They walked Bonds to bring in a run that drew the Giants closer, but then obviously had the tying run at third and then the winning run at second. But for Madden to do that, uh, please, Corey Seager, now all of a sudden he's Babe Ruth? And I know he's a dangerous offensive player, but uh, I I didn't get that, but... Be that as it may, a big weekend for Shohei Otani, who had three homers over the weekend, who had a very slow start to a season. Didn't pitch well there the other day, I might add, who gave up six runs, and I believe in four innings. I got to pull up the stat line for one Otani, but did not pitch well in his second start this year. But give it up for the Angels, currently 6-4, and four, just a half game ahead of the Astros. So if you want to get crazy about that here in the early going, you can. And the Angels, a lot of people thought that they would finally have a year where they'll be competitive, maybe even healthy with Trout in the lineup every day, and even Rendon. And let's see, based off of the MVP performance last year by Otani, if they could all somehow, some way put that together and have themselves a big season. And even Noah Syndergaard, the former Met pitcher, is off to a pretty decent start. Uh, besides that, everything else is pretty much status quo there. The Dodgers... Are off and running as well. They've won six in a row. And as I mentioned, they're going to play the Braves here in the coming days. But other than that, baseball, relatively quiet. If you want to get into the Yankees and their lost weekend in Baltimore, that even though they had that hailstorm, which probably set them up from not being swept, 
because they couldn't score there on Friday night. They got shut out there yesterday by the Orioles, and then Donaldson hit that home run after the hailstorm, and that was their only victory over the weekend. But that's pretty much what you have with baseball as we move along here, and we'll get into the NHL as they're still 11 days away from ending their season. And I know people are probably wondering, what the hell? Shouldn't the playoffs have started? We know about the Olympic break to where they had to make up a lot of those games due to COVID. And as you know, the professional players did not play in the Olympic Games over at Beijing. So we do have 11 days before the season ends. But prior to getting to that, the hockey world and, of course, the New York Islanders lost another legend, another key member, not only of their franchise and those Stanley Cup teams, but just a part of the whole community. Mike Bossy, who arguably could be one of the greatest goal scorers ever, considering the accuracy, the embodiment of a sniper, a guy that once he skated past the blue line was just deadly from all angles, and his battle with lung cancer here over these final few months here perishes late Thursday night at the age of 65. And Bossy was my favorite Islander of all time. And I know this is coming from a place where a lot of people think, oh, I thought your favorite Islander of all time would be some tough guy, whether it be Clark Gillies, who passed away a few months prior, and we know about Jean Potvin, of course, who was part of those early Stanley Cup teams. But when you have a guy that was not only a Conn Smythe winner in 82, scoring that incredible goal, if you've seen the highlight, in Vancouver, where he's pretty much in midair, in a backhand shot, I might add, scoring a goal, and Bossy was just lethal everywhere on the ice. Now, granted, there's been plenty of other guys that have scored more goals in the NHL, but when you think of a sniper, when you think of a guy who is just, no matter where he is on the ice, not just a guy that was in front of the net, not just a guy that was a winger that was deadly there at the face-off circle or at the point, Bossy was just your prototypical Dominant NHL scorer, 573 lifetime, 50 and 50 games, only player in NHL history to score nine straight seasons of 50 goals or more. Another legend lost on those dominant Islander teams, ones that I grew up with and will never forget. And thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to the Bossy family. Uh, Just another tough loss. Uh, What could you say? You had Clark Gillies, like I mentioned, there a couple of months ago. And Gillies, who was a captain of that team and was a guy that would stick up for his teammates. And Bossy was the complete opposite of that. But only because that wasn't his style. That wasn't the way he played the game. Also winning the Lady Bing Trophy for sportsmanlike play, which is indicative of how he performed throughout his career. And what more can I say? I could... Talk forever for all the big goals and the accolades, etc. But 65, man, way too young. As for the final stretch here, when it comes to the playoffs, as we talked about last week, you may have some movement here. Not a lot of drama, though. That's the one thing that you were hoping to get here with the NHL. But you may have a scenario, especially out west, to where the final wildcard spot With Dallas, Nashville, forget about the Jets, that could flip-flop. And then when we also take a look at the 
Golden Knights, who are just four points behind both Nashville and Dallas for that spot. I guess a lot of people would maybe like to see Dallas there, a team that went to a cup final a couple of years ago. I know Nashville, Smashville, they had those big crowds and obviously made it to a cup final a few years back when they played the Penguins. I mean, you could argue for any of these teams. And in the Golden Knights, we know what that fan base has been ever since the first year of their existence. So you could pretty much flip a coin. Right now, the inside track, you would think, maybe Dallas, only because they have a game in hand on both Nashville and Vegas. I'll get into it a little bit more next week because then we'll be about eight days out from the final week or the final day of the regular season. So I'll take a better look at what the schedule will shape up as we get toward the final four or five games. And pretty much that's it because you have no wild card race there in the East. Carolina suffered a couple of injuries there with Jordan Stahl and Frederick Anderson. So you'll have to... Pay attention to that if you're the Hurricanes as they're currently in a flat-footed race for first place in the Metropolitan with the Rangers. So that could be big when it comes to seeding. And then the Panthers and Avalanche continue to roll as we talked about here over the last couple of weeks. They're unstoppable. They look like they're on a track to make it to a Stanley Cup final, but I don't want to continue to regurgitate that narrative. As we all know, they could probably get bounced in the first round when it's all said and done. But that's pretty much what you have with the NHL as far as any races, as far as any drama, you really don't have much. And I'll get into it a little bit more on Thursday, especially with what's going on out west and maybe even with the Metropolitan and how the seeds will break down as we get set for the NHL to begin their postseason in the first week of May. As for the NFL, we know the draft is on deck. Ten more days away. The draft Knicks are going crazy, I'm sure, just salivating at their mock drafts. And to me, it's just a senseless act. Uh, Why even bother? Because as we all know, it just takes a trade. It just takes one team to go for a reach. And then next thing you know, your board is obliterated. But I'll talk more about that next week. But there were a couple of notable signings here this past weekend where Stephon Gilmore, the former New England Patriot, one-time Defensive Player of the Year, he signed a two-year deal with Indianapolis, which is a big signing there because it just makes their secondary a lot more stout. We know about their defense on a whole, led by Darius Leonard. And for them to get a corner of that caliber could go a long way in the AFC. So not to say that's a team we're going to have to really pay attention to or be on the lookout for, but it certainly bolsters their defense and gives them a better shot, especially in a division where other than Tennessee... They should be able to rack up the wins, but you wouldn't have thought so last year considering the loss of Jacksonville on that final day of the season, which would have put them into the postseason. So we have that. And then Sammy Watkins, the well-traveled Sammy Watkins, landed in Green Bay. So it does give Aaron Rodgers an option, a guy who, when he first came into the league, was lightning quick those days up in Buffalo. But since then, he's gone to L.A. with the Rams. He's been in Baltimore. He's been in Kansas City. He's been all over the map. And now he lands in Green Bay, and let's see what he does on a one-year deal to kind of put himself in good stead to get maybe one last contract. He's 28 years old. He's had a lot of nagging injuries over the last few years, but maybe they could catch lightning in a bottle considering all the off-season acquisitions, whether you're Marquez Valdez-Gantling departing as well as Devontae Adams. So now you get a guy like Watkins who, if he can stay healthy, could certainly be a factor there for Green Bay. 
And then you have the scenario where the NFL cannot get out of their own way when it comes to their players. And I get it, 53-man rosters, you can't police all these players. But this Kelvin Joseph, who's a cornerback there on the Cowboys, being a part of the shooting that took place. Now, he wasn't the shooter, but he was in a vehicle where bullets were shot, where it killed a young man. And he's been questioned, although two people have been arrested that were associated in the shooting. I guess they just brought in Joseph for questioning, but still, not a good look. And the NFL, that's why I call them the Shield, because they're bulletproof. Unless they have a guy that is the face of the league, and you know the faces of the league are, I'm not going to mention any names, I don't want to put that type of light out there for a particular person, but you get the drift. If you have a top quarterback, in particular, a top defensive player, whomever it may be, that was a part of something like this, then maybe the NFL and the sports world will take notice on when is this going to stop. But anyway, it continues to go on, sadly, to where a person was killed and just a mindless act of violence. I mean, I I don't even know. Just reading the reports, it was late at night, 2 a.m., and we all know anything that happens after midnight is not going to be good, especially if you're outside of your home. So that's what we have there with the NFL. I'm not even going to mention the USFL. Please, I'm not even going to spare a second on it. I didn't even realize that they had started their league the other day, but I'll just leave that right there. Let's get to it, my hero and zero of the week, to wrap us up. My hero of the week goes out to Minnesota Wild Center, Ryan Hartman, who, after a fight with Evander Kane, did a little Kyrie where he flipped the bird at Evander Kane, the oiler winger, to the point where he was fined, I believe, $4,000. But when the fan base in Minnesota caught wind of this, and next thing you know, they wanted to be the ones to put up the money to pay for this fine, and how there was a groundswell to where people found Hartman's Venmo account, to where people started sending him money to pay his fine, and then on top of that, even Evander Kane's ex-wife, who as we talked about on the podcast in the past with the alleged gambling and all the other domestic violence stuff, she even fronted money, which when you think about it, if that's his ex-wife, he said, the hell with this, I'm going to help out this young lad to pay off his fine. But what did Hartman do? He decided to put that to a charity to the Children's Hospital of Minnesota to where the 4300 some odd dollars, whatever it is, he was able to put that, and I'm sure maybe even double that with his own salary, Just a wonderful gesture. What more can you say? The hockey world, it's very small. It doesn't have the tribe like the NFL or the NBA, but the hockey tribe is close-knit, and especially the diehard hockey fan out there. So kudos to the Minnesota Wild fans for doing that, and even Ryan Hartman. So I guess it's a collective effort. They are my heroes of the week. And my zero of the week goes out to former NFL quarterback Cam Newton, who was on the Million Dollars Worth of Game podcast, had a few comments to say about women who can't cook and don't know when to be quiet. And here are his quotes. Now, a woman for me is handling your own, but knowing how to cater to a man's needs, right? And I think a lot of times when you get that aesthetic of, I'm a boss bitch, I'm this, I'm that. No, baby, you can't cook. You don't know when to be quiet. You don't know how to allow a man to lead. Really, Cam Newton? We're going to go down that road? I'm sure you meant that in jest. I'm sure you were just trying to pal around with the guys. But boy, that is just a terrible statement or statements 
and just an awful optic. Way to go with the Neanderthal way of thinking, my guy. You are my zero of the week. And that'll do it. Another episode in the books, but you know I'll be back at it this coming Thursday, bringing you everything that's going on in the world of sports. And for those who are tuned in, stuck with me throughout, and are here at the very end, I appreciate you guys and gals. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say. It definitely does not go unnoticed. It does not get taken for granted to know that you're a part of what it is I have to say. And not only that, but where you could get your source of sports anywhere else, but knowing that you stopped by here for a few minutes means the world to me. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. All that's going to do is increase the visibility. I want to try to get it out there as much as I can. Remember, I don't have a marketing team. I don't have an advertising team. You're not going to see me or my logo on billboards. So with the help of you being able to write a review, throw me a few stars, it's going to go a long way in getting the word out. So if you could do that, I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise, you could do so at any of the following on my social media accounts. TikTok, that's right, I'm having fun with that. The J Reels Podcast. Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, J Reels, one, just the number. Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Whatever you want to send, I'll be more than happy to follow up with you ASAP. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, that's P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to contribute, put forth. Again, I would appreciate it sincerely from the bottom of my heart. I'll put up some exclusive content once I get a little bit of a following there and just to try to get that off the ground. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. This is what I love to talk about. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA to chop it up about what's going on. Whether it's good, bad, ugly, indifferent, great, heroic, champion, whatever. Opinions, thoughts, analysis, breakdown on anything and everything that's happening. In the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are. The j Reels Podcast always comes correct, directed, in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J-Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.